0: All right, folks. So, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode one hundred and seven. Andrew and I got some great listener questions, and we're going to take a few moments to answer those. Who are we kidding? It's going to be more than a few moments. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and answer these questions for you guys on air, and we'll just kind of go from there. So, I'm going to go ahead and read the first question. So it says, "Hi, Andrew. First off, I want to th- sincerely thank you for all that you've taught me in regards to the stock market. I've always been interested slash intimidated, but once I caught." onto your podcast, I couldn't stop digesting more and more information on the market. So again, a huge thank you. Quick question. You're welcome. Quick question. When it comes to dollar cost averaging, I am looking to invest $150 a month. With that being said, I am ready to purchase my first share, which happens to be this month's stock pick, ticker, blah, blah, blah. It is trading at $91. So obviously I'm only going to purchase one share, but I'm curious now if I should save the remaining $60 for next month and purchase two shares or use the remaining $60 I have to purchase another share of a cheaper stock. Any feedback would be helpful. Thank you,
2: Eric. Okay. So to be clear for people who don't follow everything I do, I have a newsletter. It's a paid newsletter called the Sather Research e-letter. In that newsletter, I'm giving monthly stock recommendations and it's following along a real money portfolio. So as Eric said in this example, the stock pick for this month is $91. So in the real money portfolio, we are buying $91 worth. So in again, in the real money portfolio, it's $150 a month. The goal is to hit $1 million, which sounds crazy with such a small amount, but that's kind of the point. I started this portfolio when I was 25 and and I launched a newsletter when I was 25. And so I wanted to show just how powerful compound interest is. So the goal of that is to invest $150 a month for 40 years, and hopefully we'll hit that $1 million mark and we don't need crazy returns. Um, We just need a 1% outperformance Compared to the stock market, which includes inflation, by the way, but it's still going to be a million dollars. So, in the real money portfolio, if if you're doing the math, so in the e leather, um, we ended up buying more than one share because there was also a sell, um, a sell recommendation. So I was able to pick up more shares. But like, let's say we're in Eric's situation where you know we might be starting out brand new. We don't have any old positions that we're selling off. So all we have is this $150. There's a recommendation to buy a stock that's trading at 91. So we can only buy one share. So now he's got $60 left. He's asking because in the E-leather, there are multiple recommendations that that investors can do. I kind of list those out because, you know, stocks could be a great deal for a long time. They don't necessarily go up just because Andrew recommended them. So... Some investors do like to add more positions, like instead of adding just one position like I'm doing in the in the real money portfolio, maybe they're adding two or three. Uh, not that I necessarily recommend that. I've talked about that several times, but that's a topic for another day. So what does he do with the remaining, with the remaining 60? Uh, you're going to want to roll it and use it in the next month. And here's the big reason why. If you think about using that sixty dollars to buy another share of a different stock, um, consider that you have to pay a transaction fee of four ninety five. So I'm not going to do the math right now, but that's going to be close to ten percent of your capital going towards a transaction fee because you're only investing sixty dollars. So that's why I say just roll it. And that's what I do every month. And I do this with the real money portfolio too. If there's money left over, even if it's kind of a significant amount, you just roll it. And that way you have more money to spend or to invest in the next month. So next month, instead of having $150, he's going to have $210. And now he can buy more shares of whatever that recommendation is. And that's going to be probably the most efficient way to use your money. Agree? Disagree?
0: I would definitely agree. I think that's probably the most efficient way to use your money. I mean, I know you've explained this to, to us several times, and I, I really like the kind of, the way you kind of lay it out. So I think that's probably the best way to use it.
2: Sweet. So we did keep one relatively short, one answer. So let's move on yes, to the we next did.
0: one. Yeah, one <laughs> answer. No, no promises going forward. No promises.
2: <laughs> that's right. Now we can go extra long for the next couple ones. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Buckle in, folks. All right, so... Question number two. Hello. I've been listening to your podcast since I started investing actively about nine months ago. I love it. The approach you guys discussed seems like a solid way to find good companies to invest in rather than just following hunches or trying to guess what the market will do. My question is, what happens when you follow that approach and nothing looks good? I'm trying to build a portfolio of 20 positions. Good. And I use Finviz to screen for good companies with a margin of safety. The problem is that once I screen for all of the parameters I choose to look at, there really isn't much left that looks good. Sometimes I have money to invest, but I just end up parking it in a bond ETF because it seems like a sure bet to hold its value and pay some sort of return. Do you have any suggestions for building my initial portfolio? Should I try something different or just be patient? Thanks, Jesse. What, Boy, what that's do you a-
0: that's a, that is a very interesting question. So, oh boy. Um, there are several ways you could go with this. I think the first thing that really pops into my head and the way that I would look at this is be patient. Uh, there is no reason to rush into buying something just for the sake of buying it. Um, having principles and standing by them is one of the things that can help you avoid Losing money, which is the prime directive, if you will, of all investing is to not lose money and remembering that rule at all times. So, rushing in to buy something just because you want to buy something is not necessarily always the best thing to do. Uh, you know, I guess right now there are lots of things to look into to try to determine what it is you want to buy. And I guess. As I'm talking about this, I also think about the parameters that you mentioned, maybe expanding those slightly one way or the other to see if you get more opportunities that could present themselves. That's one thing that Andrew, I know, has talked about in the past is instead of sticking strictly to a P of 15, for example, maybe branching out going up into the 15 or 30 range just to kind of see what's out there and see what's available. Doesn't mean you have to park all of your money into something like that but it may give you an opportunity for something that could be an opportunity. I know that when I have looked at my weekly Finviz screens for companies, yes, it's not a lot to choose from. And it seems like the majority of them right now are in the unloved, I guess, category of financials and Andrew and I have talked about that numerous times about our viewpoint, or opinions on those. I'm more open to looking at companies like that than Andrew is uh, for a variety of reasons. And I think that is one of the ways that you can look at it. If that's something that falls outside of your comfort zone, then I guess my recommendation would be to wait. Uh, you're going to have opportunities at some point. There is always going to be A downturn in the market at some point where you'll have more opportunities than you will now but i think saving that money and parking it in a safe place like a bond etf is not a horrible idea i guess that's kind of the conservative side of me and i think that's my thought i'd be real curious to hear what andrew has to say
2: oh boy where do i start um First off, yeah, excellent question. I really like what you mentioned, Dave, about staying patient and 100%. Like, don't, especially if you're not sure, um, don't start putting your life savings and buying up all these stocks just because you're in a rush to build a portfolio of 20 positions or, you know, for one reason or the other, you just want to kind of go full Rambo. Um, I would say, For me, right? So going back to the e-leather, because I think it's a great example, with the real money portfolio, it took, because we're only buying one stock a month, it took 20 stock recommendations to finally have a fully diversified portfolio. So if you're following along at home, that means 20 months. So almost two years to get from zero positions to 20 positions. That does require a lot of patience and patience is key. On the flip side, to play devil's advocate and to talk about, once you are comfortable buying stocks and and getting yourself into the market, uh, I've written, uh, I've covered this a lot, but I remember recently writing an email about this. It it can get to a point where you start to get kind of too perfectionism, like you you want to find the absolutely best stock with the best financials trading at the best price and you know with the best growth picture and it's as popular as google <laughs> it, it's not at that at that time when you're at that point now where where you're just kind of trying to be a perfectionist that's not going to be conducive to uh, having good results in the long term eventually like we talk about you you're going to want to really lean on the principles of investing. And when I say the principles, I really mean dollar cost averaging, which means setting a consistent small amount, not maybe small is not the right word, a reasonable amount of money that you can consistently invest every month and doing that every single month. Unless you get to a point where you know there's absolutely nothing to buy. I will tell you personally, because I use the value trap indicator, that's my formula for picking stocks, um, I, that's, that's one of my principles and my systems. I'm not going to betray that. Um, but I'm still finding a lot of stocks, even as we record this middle of 2019 and the, the Schiller PE of the market keeps kind of inching up higher, but there's still pockets in there where that, where there's going to be a strong buy. So I say, you don't want to go to any two extremes where it's like, well, I'm going to just throw valuation to the wind because I'm going to dollar cost average. Right. At the same token, um, you don't want to play this game of perfectionism where it's like, well, the stock doesn't have a price to book below one and and the PEs at 20, then I'm not going to buy it. That's not reasonable either. So I think, I don't want to play like armchair psychologist here, but it seems like this question, the way I envision uh, where Jesse is in this process is, he seems to have a very good grasp of it and and he really understands a lot like most of what he needs to understand i think the next step is is taking action and and getting some experience and not necessarily because now you know if he's on finders and he's screening for good companies he's talking about margin of safety he knows a lot now hopefully because of what we've taught and now he's talking about you know parking so this is why i say this is is the word choice here is interesting <clears throat> sometimes i have money to invest but i just end up parking it in a bond ETF because it seems like a sure bet to hold its value and pay some sort of return that th- that kind of concerns me because nothing in investing is a sure bet a bond ETF could you know yeah i mean the chances of a bond ETF going to zero are pretty slim but there's always risk even with etfs etfs are relatively new in the stock market game so we we don't know really we don't really haven't seen what what kind of risks can come out of that not not to get too off track the other thing is you know there's a risk of inflation outpacing your returns there's always risks and so there's no such thing as a sure bet and you're not going to find any stock that's going to hold its value in the sense that you can check it every month and see it not go down. So you need to understand if you're going to get into the stock market, there's going to be volatility. There's going to be stock prices going up and down, and you kind of need to stomach that. So I would, in that situation, instead of maybe thinking of it as a sure bet, I would really recommend reading up on your Mr. Market, which is uh, one of the best chapters in that book by Benjamin Graham, The Intelligent Investor. So hopefully. You know that that part of having the right mindset of what is investing and and what's really what comes along with it. Which you'll get some of that with experience because you'll see you'll see stocks in your portfolio that will frustrate you and you'll feel like you were an idiot for buying it. I've had that. You'll have stocks where they'll just shoot up as soon as you buy it, and it's like, "Whoa, I'm a savant," you know, and everybody should listen to me. And you'll have stocks that have those characteristics at different times. So I've had a stock that I remember in 2017, this was one of the dividend fortresses. Um, it did really, really poorly. And it did for a long time. I just kept collecting dividends along the way. Finally, in 2019, it seems like the market's kind of seen the same type of value thesis I saw. And so it's starting to make a comeback and I'm seeing those losses turn into gains, right? Or... <laughs> I don't think they're at gains yet, but they're less much less severe losses than they were. Um and and they can go all the way up that up and down that scale. So I think building a portfolio of 20 positions that's something we've covered in the past. Obviously, if you're talking about investing a huge sum of money or a huge part of your life savings, the strategy's going to be a bit different than if you are starting from scratch and and trying to Let's say invest one hundred and fifty dollars a month in the in a solid dollar cost averaging plan. So a lot of things to think about. I will say one more thing about this, and I'm, I could probably talk about this question all day. It's it's a good one. But budgeting was always a challenge for me.
0: I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerd wallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply.
2: Um, going back to that first question and the stock pick that we did for June 2019. This is one that would not show up in Finviz at all. So I guess... To rewind and go back for people who aren't aware of Finviz, that's something we covered in the archives. But it's basically a stock screener that helps you filter stocks based on their different valuations, like PE, PB, et cetera. So if I look at the company, and I, this is like the third time I've almost said its name, so I got to be careful. It's not one that would pop up on the screen, because, likely, because the price to book on this is 359 That's not, it's, it's like really, I would, I would prefer to pay like maybe two and a half or two uh, two for a price to book. But here we have one that's 3.59, but then the PE is a 19, the price to cash is a 14. So again, if I was screening for price to earnings under 15, this would also not show up, but you know, if it was a Finviz screen, I don't think this would show up because of the price to book looking down to see what the price of sales is. I'm I'm assuming that's going to be reasonable. Well, also at 2.5. So yeah, not really something that would probably show up on my radar. But this is a company that I've been watching for a long time. I'm talking about years here. And I owned it, I think in 2015, maybe 2016. But it has a really strong brand. Um, I'm talking about a brand of over 100 years, one that's in the daily vernacular everybody if i said the name you would know what stock you know what company i'm talking about and it's it's a dividend increaser and what's really nice about it is it, it goes back to an idea i've talked about before where not to get too far in the weeds too late but not to get too far in the weeds um, the brand the power of the brand and the value of the brand is not put in the balance sheet at all so that's one reason why the price to book is higher you know, I'm not going to pay a price-to-book of 10 just because there's a strong brand, but the price of book is still reasonable and it would be lower if their brand was valued. Um, to give you a sense of how valuable the brand is, uh, in 2018, it was ranked 83 in the world by Interbrand, which is uh, a website that ranks some of the top brands in the world. So that's a huge thing. But again, I wouldn't have found it in Finviz most likely because to do a screen like that, I would need a price to book under four. I would need a price to sales under three. And the list of stocks that would come up under that would probably be way, way, way too overwhelming to be able to search through all of this. So I think there's value in also having a watch list in addition to having these screens because you can get other ideas other than just using a screener. So I like I like to have I've talked about this uh, maybe a month or so ago. I like to have my the value trap indicator spreadsheets. I like to have them hooked up to each other so that they're constantly updating those VTIs and I can kind of glance at those. You might not be as as you know crazy as I am, let's say, but maybe for you that means having a watch list of, say, 10 to 15 stocks that is in addition to your, to your screening efforts. And then if you notice that one of those stocks really dropped for one reason or the other, then maybe that's a, a, an opportunity to, to rerun your margin of safety qualifications and see if, well, now maybe it's, it's a good value because uh, there's been a huge drop for this reason or the other. So, those are kind of my long-winded thoughts on that. I think, I think Jesse is like right there. I think he understands the margin of safety, understands these valuations, and I. It sounds to me like paralysis analysis and being so scared of taking a risk that you're making the gravest mistake of of all, which is not investing anything.
1: Hey, you. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it.
0: That's an excellent answer. Way better than mine. <laughs> it is not.
2: <laughs> I think if you, no, it is not
0: moving on. Okay. All right. Okay. So moving on to the next question. All right. So we have uh, good afternoon, Andrew. First, thank you to you and Dave for the work you've done on the podcast. Over the last several months, I have nearly caught up on all the episodes in the archive. It's been extremely insightful and sparked my interest in value investing. At your recommendation, I've also read The Intelligent Investor and Rich Dad Poor Dad and have my copies of Greenblatt's books as well as two of Peter Lynch's. I also have my MBA and have a solid grasp of financial statements and value or cal- valuation calculations. I'm 34 years old and have a healthy 401k making the maximum contribution annually. I make too much to open an IRA, so I've opened a taxable brokerage account and a dollar cost averaging, buying shares for the last three months now. My question is in regards to signs I might be trying to catch a falling knife. I know you can't give personalized advice, but I am hoping you might be able to point out some generalities to look for. I am currently holding a stock, SWKS, that is part of a struggling semiconductor market. I believe it is being punished unfairly due to the China trade war, and I've actually continued to add shares as the price falls because I calculated as a discount to its intrinsic value. About SWKS, the current price is sixty-seven dollars twenty-one cents. The PE is eleven twenty-three. The PB, the price to book, is three point eight. The price to cash is ten point two. It has zero debt and large caps, and five point eight for the current ratio. The balance sheet is very strong with growing shareholders' equity over the last five years and no red flags that I see. And the income statement shows steady profits, although not necessarily growing. Dividends have a nice yield and have been growing over the last four years with a healthy payout ratio. Using the dividend growth model, I calculate the intrinsic value to be 81.85, a 22% margin of safety. All right, so he's got the calculations there. Excellent. Uh, Long background. So here's the question. Is Mr. Market really that crazy? And have I found gold in my early investing career or are there details I'm missing that would indicate stocks like SWKS might be a falling knife? I'm confident in my background analysis, but the stock keeps getting beat down. Hoping you can share some light on this subject. And thanks again for all you and Dave do. Thanks, Clark. Andrew, what are your thoughts?
2: Ooh, yeah. Lots of thoughts, obviously. So let's get disclaimers out of the way. I have not looked at SWKS. Um, This is not any recommendation to buy or sell. And I'm not going to answer the question, do I think it's a falling knife or not? Because I haven't done deep analysis or due diligence. I don't really know what they do from a business perspective. But these bring up all good questions on, you know, we're gonna you're gonna you're gonna see this story over and over again with different stocks where you'll see these type of valuations, these type of characteristics, and again this fact that the stock price is dropping, it's like, well, what am I missing, right? Because there's always gonna be there's always gonna be a reason for a dropping stock price. I think I like the idea and the thought process is like, what am I missing? Because there's always going to be something that you're not considering. And just because you have a full analysis doesn't mean that's the whole picture. So it's always good when a stock is dropping. It's like, all right, let's try to uncover why. I think he's he's really close. Like he got really, really warm uh, when he said that due to the, the China trade war, um, a lot of stocks have been unfairly punished. I 100% agree with that. And I think it's a big reason why I've seen a lot of my opportunities. I know the June pick which is one I just talked about right that one is usually trading at higher valuations and I think a lot of it does have to do with China and you can just one one good way to kind of get some of people's ideas on, on why stocks are dropping. We've talked about this before but seeking alpha a free website has a lot of great analysis on there both from the numbers perspective and from the kind of narrative or macro perspective. And so if you go through the news summaries on on certain tickers it will tell you you know stocks drop because of China wars. Um so some of it will be kind of sensationalized but if you can trust you can start to weed out when something's sensationalized versus if it's actually legit. So usually there'll be something more in depth than some clickbait title that says the Dow dropped half a percent because of China, right? Um but Something like this, uh, he's talking about the struggling semiconductor market, which I know has had its struggles recently in addition to what's going on in China. So that's another factor. Like um, the memory market's been having some issues. And when I say issues, it's not that it's going to go away or anything, but you know the growth that it's had in the past seems to be slowing. So lots of things to consider on that end from a strictly a numbers perspective and going to the question of is mr market really this crazy and have i found gold in my early investing career so yeah it's a good example of mr market going crazy i think uh just at least from the the initial observation when you have different fears and everything like that then it gives you reason to think. And if, okay, I'm not saying this is the 100% reason, but if a major reason is the China trade war, it makes a good question because it's like, well, is this something that long-term, like for example, in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, are we still going to be in a, in a trade war with China? Huh, good question, right? What, what do you think? I don't think any war would last, well, not anywhere, any trade war would really last that long Nobody knows, obviously, and, and we never know what the future holds. But I think it's fair to say a lot of these political things tend to hit the markets, and then you tend to see the markets um, revert and kind of forget about all these worries. And so, the same people who are selling like a frenzy will also buy like a frenzy at the first sign of the trade war being over. So, obviously, you can never time that. Anybody who says they can is a fool, but you can buy when it's dropping like this and it could drop another 25, 50% from here, but you have to be okay with that. You have to be able to stomach volatility, be able to stomach the fact that there is risk with buying stocks and no stocks going to go up perfectly forever. And you just take that into consideration and, and maybe even write down the reasons why you're buying a stock like this. So maybe some stocks make you more nervous than others. Those could possibly even be the best opportunities so in, in this case with SWKS, it's like, well, you know, the price to book and the price to sales on the onset, maybe doesn't sound super low price to book of almost three. And then the price of sales of three and a quarter. But I mean, when you consider it is in the semiconductor, it is in the, the tech industry, valuations like this are kind of rare in the PE of 11, according to Finviz, um, Below fifteen, that sounds fantastic, and and a great dividend too, two percent yield. So these are all things, and I and I really like the fact that there's no debt, right? That that that's a huge factor for me when I'm looking at stocks. So if you can remember that, okay, two things. If you can remember that you're going to be holding for the long term, that any sort of volatility is is. Uh, going to be accepted. And if you're understanding that when you say I'm going to hold for the long term, that doesn't mean, well, I'm going to hold for 10 years and and it's guaranteed that I'm going to make gains. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is I'm going to hold for the long term and the business will continue to run and grow. And I'm going to get my dividend payments from that. And eventually, we don't know what the timeline is, but eventually Mr. Market will realize it was crazy and the price will settle. We don't know what the timing is. Again, I have to stress that over and over and over again. The second thing to consider is that when you say, is this going to be a falling knife? I think it's important to distinguish a falling knife as in a share price that collapses until the PE is under a nine and, and the stock price is from a 70 to let's say like a 40. That's one type of falling knife. I might be okay catching that because I'm holding for the very long term, as long as the business is doing fine, versus a falling knife where we're in a bankruptcy situation like we talked about recently. I think even last week we talked about it. A bankruptcy situation where the company's a falling knife because it's crumbling and you're buying into a business and the business is crumbling, there's no growth, the the business is imploding. And now we're talking about a share price that's collapsing that likely won't recover because of the business characteristics. So that's kind of everything I would say about it. Um, It's great. He's doing his due diligence. I think I love to hear the fact that he's taking initiative and reading. Obviously, Ben Graham, Joel Greenblatt, Peter Lynch, guys are way smarter than me with way more experience and, and guys I've definitely learned from. And it only makes sense to go to the source and try to learn from as many as as many of those legends as you can. And I see Clark doing that. And um, I think he's on the great path.
0: I totally agree. This is an amazing question. And I love the way he lays out all of his his points. And he's definitely done his due diligence. That is for sure. So, you know, major kudos to you, Clark, for for all that. A couple things that I wanted to kind of throw out there. A- Andrew gave a very detailed, very excellent explanation, but a couple things that I guess I would observations that I would like to throw out there. So the first thing I wanted to chat a little bit about was your uh, intrinsic value calculation or kind of your estimate of where you think the company can go as far as the price goes. You know, the numbers you came up with are, were great because if you look back at the history of the, the price of the Company over the last five or six years, it has easily hit that number, if not more, multiple times. And so the number that you're looking at is not out of the realm of possibilities for, I mean, for, you know, for just for giggles, even back in April, uh, April 12th, it was at $90. So, you know, it's fallen quite a bit since then. But I think, you know, just based on everything that we've talked about, I think it's more based on sensational news, i.e., what's going on with. The trade war with China is scaring people away from this area of the stock market. Is making them feel like this is a, a could be a disastrous investment. And I think the other thing to think about too is, and I don't know the answer to this, but I guess a question I would ask when you're looking at a stock that's getting beaten up that you feel like is getting beaten up, because based on just the initial numbers that you're weighed you out in your in your question, it sounds like the company is doing well irregardless of what's happening in the stock market. So I think one of the things I like about this question is it shows that the stock market does not equal the success or failure of the company. Uh, it It's really based more on public opinion than a lot of times than the actual numbers, because if the company is increasing its sales, its bottom line is increasing, it's paying a healthy dividend, and it's got room to grow that dividend. And all the other metrics that you're looking at indicate a very healthy company, a grower, growing shareholder's equity. Those are all great signs to look for in a company. And it doesn't always equate to success in the stock market for a variety of reasons. And yes, Mr. Market can be that crazy. It happens all the time. But the thing that I guess the question that I ask myself, and I don't know anything about the semiconductor market is just looking at the the volatility of the stock price over the last five years. It's, you know, it's seen some pretty high highs of, you know, up to almost over $105 to down to a low of about, you know, $66. So that's a pretty wild swing. And there seems to be peaks and valleys of it. And I guess the question I asked would want to ask about the semiconductor market, and I don't know the answer to this question, is, is that normal volatility? Is it a cyclical business? In other words, are there periods of highs and periods of lows? And is it just kind of hum along at that? Or is that not normal? Is that normal? And I guess I don't really know the answer to that question. And I guess that would be one thing that I would want to investigate, when I'm looking at why is this, why is this company getting beaten up? Is it because of the cyclicality of the nature of the business that it's in? It's not necessarily a commodity business. So obviously that's not the issue, but you know, with technology and the ebbs and flows of technology, I don't know enough about again, you know, the ups and downs of that kind of market. Uh, Andrew, do you know the ups and downs of that kind of market? Does that? sound like a feasible idea
2: <laughs> yeah um for now right uh in recent history right. it definitely has been and tech in general kind of fluctuates a lot more in general mm-hmm. okay
0: all right so i guess you know when you're asking about the falling knife question again i can't say specifically about the stock but the numbers all look fantastic uh just based on what you're telling me and I think that that would be, you know, the thing that I would want to investigate. Is this something that's cyclical or is there something out there on the horizon that you haven't discovered yet that is causing the stock to be beaten down? Is it beyond just the stock market? Have you looked at the company's website to see if there's any news out there that may have been discussed that you might have missed in your research? Uh, seeking alpha is a fantastic resource to look at this company because there are going to be people that are going to write about it and will have more up-to-date news on it than i'm going to have and will have a better idea of maybe all the goings-on or the potential black clouds that may be looming in the future in regards to this company so those are things that you could definitely look into if you're, as you're trying to decide whether this is a falling knife or not um, there is no perfect way to answer this and this is again part of the risk of investing in companies in the stock market as you're just never really going to know but one really really great thing is the fact that they have no debt and that's going to help them sustain them for a very long time so even if it doesn't ever get back to the highs of 105 dollars a share it could still do really well for you over the long term so that would be something i would want to keep in mind as well so i hope that helped answer your question a little bit clark
2: And I agree with all that. The only other thing I think I can add is ideas on how else to kind of find reasons why the stock's dropped. Another thing you can do is listen to conference calls, listen to the quarterly earnings, pay attention to what happened in the quarterly earnings, and even look at a quarterly statement. Um, Obviously, don't make an investment decision based on a quarterly statement as those numbers are not... um, regulated like the the annual reports are but you know maybe you might be able to sniff out another reason why other than that yeah i i agree with what you said dave and i think clark regardless of how the stock works out i think it sounds like you have a good enough understanding where you should be able to have great results based on your knowledge and your skills and and the fact that it seems like you're willing to continue to learn and grow what you learn and and gain experience by getting your hands dirty
0: yeah exactly and i guess the thing that i'm jealous of is the fact that you have an mba and you have a a background in finance and understand how financial statements work and can dig into those much easier than it was for me you know it was a complete learning process for me and i love it don't get me wrong but sometimes i wish i would have You know, learned a little bit more in school or actually paid attention in my accounting classes instead of staring at the pretty girls in the class. So, (laughs) um, but you know, it's all water under the bridge now. But, uh, anyway, so yeah, that was, that was a great question, Clark. Thank you.
2: We all agree with you on that too, Dave.
0: (laughs) Glad to hear it. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our conversation for this evening. I hope you enjoyed our answers to the great listener questions we got today. That was a lot of fun for me, and I think Andrew enjoyed it as well. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you all next week.
1: We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples.